listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture this morning will be continuing our journey through Matthew. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery also. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So who's excited about these verses? I can tell you I wasn't. And I even considered at the beginning of the week just completely changing and just skipping over these because I was like, they wouldn't even notice. So God said, um, no, you are going to talk about this. So thank you so much, Jim Boley. This will be fun. Um, Thomas said something last week that has stuck with me. Uh, He was resisting the call to becoming a minister because if I am up here proclaiming, I better be living it. That is one of the reasons that I took so long to get up here as well, and I love that you said that. Um, Because I can't say something and not actually live it out. And these scriptures hit hard, um, if you know my story at all, um, in so many ways. And I'm certain that I'm not the only one here who has struggled with these verses as well. So I invite you to join me into the posture of a disciple as we learn from these verses this morning. As it was a difficult section of scripture, um, please pray with me. Lord, move me aside. Make your lesson known. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer, and all God's people join me in saying amen. So we're going to reread the first parts of our verses today, and you can follow along with me. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So when Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, he is drawing things from different parts of the Old Testament, but he's also drawing from the way that they were interpreting these scriptures. Um, I'm going to read the second half of the Ten Commandments. It's found both in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, just to give us a little context. I've backed up a little and gone ahead some, but you're going to see that all the things that we are talking about today are in this section. So verse 17, you shall not murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, If you know your Bible and your Bible characters well, how well did Solomon do this? How about David? Even Abraham took matters into his own hands to have a child. Our Bible is full of adultery, full of people who have fallen in this way, but have still been loved and used by God. I want to make sure we all hear that just because we make mistakes does not mean that we will not be loved and accepted. However, Jesus is calling us to the standards that he knows is best for all of us. Jesus wanted his followers to not live in shame and guilt and calls us to a different holiness standard to follow. Sure, he's going to love us, and he's going to use our mistakes for his glory, but Jesus wants the best for us at all times. Now, I'm not going to call you to a perfection standard. Um, You don't need to be perfect. I'm not going to hold up a measuring rod. Um, Jesus and the Old Testament, it says over and over that God's desire is for our hearts, not our perfect actions. Jesus came so that we do not have an exhaustive list of rules and regulations for us to live by, but Jesus is calling for his disciples to follow him well, to love God fully, and to love others. If we're involved in adultery, are we loving everybody well? Of course not. And are we loving God well? No. Um, Another important note that the word adultery was actually used um, often in the Old Testament uh, for those people who left the ways of God and they started to cozy up to the ways of the world. This itself gives way to these verses having a double meaning. So at the surface, Jesus is talking about having lust in our hearts toward others, but he's also calling out having lust in our hearts toward the ways of the world. Anytime we choose our own ways instead of God's ways, we are, in a sense, cheating on God. All right, now to address this whole right hand and right eye thing, because that was a little strange to me. Um, But then I did a search in the Old Testament, and uh, there's some context here, and there's many verses that I can actually choose from that talk about cutting off one's right hand and right eye. 
Um, but for now, I'll just share one with you. Uh, Zechariah 11:17 says, Oh, my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock, may the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be completely withered and his right eye utterly blinded. The right hand, most of us probably in this room are right-handed. Um, it has been the dominant hand across centuries and it signifies power and value. And the ancients also considered the right eye to be connected to status. To remove either the right hand or the right eye, knowing that it signifies dominance and power, this loss would humiliate and disempower. Jesus is saying that even if you lust after another outside of your marriage, you need to cut yourself off from power and dominance that has obviously pervaded your life. Jesus is asking for our entirety, our whole being. He's not asking for part of us. He's not asking for an hour on a Sunday. He is asking for our entire selves. I also can't be up here and not point out to whom these verses are talking to. And this is where Jesus gets a little radical for his culture, and still today it's a little radical. Though his teachings are universal, he is specifically calling out the men. He is elevating women and their rights in new and different ways. At this point in history, women were already asked to dress differently, to cover themselves up more, hiding their beauty some to, you know, help the men not take advantage of them. We are still teaching this, guys. That's baloney. It's not a woman's fault. It's never a woman's fault for being beautiful. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Thank you. It is never a woman's fault, period. End of story. Jesus is laying that complete responsibility in this text on the men. Thank you. Thank you. I have amazing daughters who are beautiful. Guess what? I do not tell them what to wear. And that had to come through years and years of being at churches that were constantly telling my kids to cover up. That is not okay. Now, I don't want them coming to church in a bikini. We have context, but it's still not their fault for being beautiful. There is zero direction from Jesus telling women to make sure to cover up perfectly. Now, ladies, we all know that lust is not only for men. We all have our own stuff. So we are also asked to control ourselves and our imaginations, our lusts, and our desires. But as a female pastor, I can tell you I'm constantly second-guessing what I wear. I second-guess my wardrobe and my jewelry because at the end of a Sunday message, I don't want to hear, you look so beautiful today. I want to hear something that you took from my message. I also don't want to get a note about what was wrong with my outfit or my hair. I just want to hear something I said wrong in my message. If you really want to be critical, I'm okay with that. But it's not about my clothing. Um, and I know that Pastor Joanne used to wear a robe for that same reason. 
And I, I won't do that. I'm fighting against that because I hear they're rather hot. So I'm going to stick with my own clothing, but I appreciate your willingness to hear those words from me. Pulling this all together, Jesus is asking us to stop lusting after anything that was not intended for you at this moment in your life. Period. If you are married, you have chosen your spouse to spend the rest of your life with. This is where your desire should be. If you are not married, Jesus is still asking you to keep your lustful desires in check. Lust leads to unhealthy places that he is calling us away from. We're not loving others well if we are only thinking about them in bed. Am I right? We are not those people. Jesus is calling us to these standards, to love others and put their needs and their desires ahead of our own. Jesus is challenging us to remove ourselves from the situation, to remember to love well and to stop sitting in this place. And he is absolutely reiterating the fact that there is sacredness in marriage and that marriage is for sexual desire and not to be finding other outlets. Jesus teaches us that adultery is not the act committed, but the desire that starts first. And then to that second meaning of this text, the prophets who use the word adultery to describe the ways in which this walking away from God can happen, we find it in Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the list goes on. God is calling to their people and their people are turning their backs and still lusting after the ways of the world. Anytime we start to stray from being a disciple, we need to take a look at what is drawing us away. Maybe we've stopped attending church in person. This is not for those of you who live out of town. But if it is for those of you who are hanging out in your pajamas, I'm okay with that if you hear something in there for you. Um, maybe we've stopped reading our Bible because it's too hard to open up and get into a rhythm. Maybe we've started drinking or using substances or we're leaning on something that we shouldn't be. Maybe we've stopped doing the things that we know are good for us and choosing the easier way out. My guess is we've all been here in some way at some point. Jesus is not heaping guilt and shame here, but he is teaching us about the ways that he knows will bring you through life well. The slide away from God and the ways of God start small. Again, I don't hold a measuring rod up. I'm not going to tell you what's best for you. That's between you and God, but I will ask for you to check yourselves. Check your hearts. Pray about whether or not there is something that you are lusting after that is calling you away from God. And if you are struggling with lust of another human in your life or on a screen, start giving those feelings and desires to God. You can separate yourself, find an accountability partner, a counselor, join a 12-step group. If you do not love yourself well in this way, by taking care of yourself, you are not loving others and you are not loving God well. 
Continuing on in this countercultural narrative of Jesus, we read in verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whew! This is going places that I really don't love to go, right? To talk about lust and then divorce, we get to talk about marriage and reconciliation. This is the part I do love. Um, We have talked through marriage and desire when we went through the Song of Songs. We know that marital love and desire are pleasing to God. We also know that to lust after anyone else or anything else is not honoring your marriage or your spouse well. We've also talked about a lot about what love is because prior to me being able to preach every week this summer, I seemed to continue to get love passages. So love is bigger than fleeting happiness or emotions or desires. God talks about love more like an action verb, not a feeling descriptor. So keep remembering that love is an action. And we also need to be on the same page with biblical marriage. It's between two people who have entered into a covenant together with not only each other, but also with God. We really do become one with our spouse. This idea is called perichoresis. And it's really talking about the Trinity. And this is the image that uh, Pastor Dan has shared with us before, um, the way that the Trinity works together. However, I found this other picture that it way is my favorite. So go to the next slide for me. This is so much better, isn't it? Um, it's more it feels more like a dance more like rhythm and I I look at this as the mutual indwelling and interpenetration of the Father Son and the Spirit and within the marriage context it's the interconnectedness between two spouses and God divorce destroys this perichoresis our indwelling of one another with God. The sacredness of perichoresis is felt both when you're together and then the brokenness when you're apart. To keep it short, you're going to have to take my word for it this morning on the basics of covenants. We can jump into that another time if you'd like. Um, But as a general rule, God covenants are to be with us, are to be for us, and will be unto us until full redemption of the kingdom of God in his glory. So entering this understanding then of a marital covenant, marital love should be defined by God's love. Our love for our spouse is to be with them, to be for them, and to be unto God's formative purpose for each of us. Leading it easier way to say this is presence, to be with them, advocacy, to be for them, and formation, to be unto them. If we're approaching this text just to find reasons for divorce, we're missing the whole point of what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is for marriage. He's not a fan of divorce, but the entirety of scripture understands that we're humans and there is room for humans to fall and to have hardness of hearts toward one another. And that is why divorce was permitted. It doesn't mean that Jesus wants that for us. Jesus will continuously call us to standards of holiness, and he's calling to those who are quickly ending covenants to just start another one without doing the needed work on themselves, making the same mistakes. We also find that Jesus is looking out for women again in this section. He knows what happens to women who give their first 10 or 20 years to a spouse and then they get divorced. In this culture, they were left destitute and in need of protection and a home. In today's culture, this is less of an issue. However, women still make on average 82% of what men do in the same job with the same education. 82%. Anyway, that could be a whole sermon. I won't keep going on that. Um, I was just at a wedding last weekend. The pastor, during the rehearsal, made sure that the bride and groom could recite the love passage from 1 Corinthians 13. He handed them a microphone and made them stand up and recite it from memory. It was the best. I told the bride that, and she goes, of course you would like that. (laughs) It was fantastic. So if anybody wants to get married, that might be the homework. Um... (laughs) On top of this, he did give a mini-sermon to the bride and groom along with the whole um, group about what a marriage covenant looks like, and then he quizzed them in front of their friends things that they probably had to go over during premarital counseling. It was beautiful to hear him talk about how important it is to come before God and your friends during this time of their commitment to one another. Often we forget to talk about that covenant aspect. God's intention is for us to be present with our spouses, advocate for them, and help them on their own discipleship journey to aid in their formation. When we both do these three things for each other within a marriage, it's a beautiful exchange, not only with one another, but that extra love, it kind of oozes out onto all the people around them. It can't help but do that. Historically, divorce had become too easy and too quick for the Israelites. The original text in Deuteronomy that stated that they could divorce was on the basis of if she is displeasing to him or indecent. So obviously, this got really skewed, and essentially you could divorce for any reason that you felt like, which is not much different than in our own culture's standards. Within the church, we have the same divorce rate than outside of the church. What are we doing? But here's where these verses get extra hard for me, and many of you may feel like you're in the same boat. I am standing up here, a divorced woman. This is tricky. I can fall into some strange traps, and I struggled myself when I was faced with with this decision 14 years ago. But keeping the three things in our mind, present, advocate, and formation, I know that I wasn't present with my spouse. 
I definitely did not advocate for him. And I don't think that throwing him under the bus regularly really aided in his formation. So I'm sorry. If, If you don't know the end of my story, we did reconcile. And so Gary is still the same husband. Um... But when these three things, they, when they're interrupted in some way from the other spouse, from ourselves, our first line of defense really is to find that reconciliation. We talked about the Beatitudes, one of which is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemaking is reconciliation. This is the standard of which Jesus is calling us to. We talk about the issues. We keep care of the other person in the forefront of our mind. Remember, we can be with them, for them, and unto them if we are remembering to keep their needs in the front of our minds, too. If you have done your part, loving them the best of your ability, and the other spouse is not receptive or has fully turned away from you, there is room to move into divorce. There is permissibility, but it will still leave you broken and hurting in ways that I hope you never have to experience. You will be okay, but it really hurts in the moment. Of course, marriage and reconciliation will not always work for everybody, and I know that there's always three sides to every marriage story, a side per spouse, and one that is closer to reality, because of course none of us can actually see reality. If you find yourself in this place, I want to encourage you to find people to talk to Talk to me, seek a professional counselor. That's really important. Um, Talk to some friends who have strong and healthy marriages to seek for wisdom. As a very important aside, try to choose people wisely. I'm going to say that again. Try to choose your people wisely. If they have recently been through a divorce or they're in a rough marriage in some way with their spouse, they will inherently put their story into yours. It is really hard to be unbiased when you're up against marital issues. Try and find that unbiased support, even if it means you pay for it through counseling, spiritual direction, or through a life coach. And we're also lucky enough here to be surrounded by so many of you who have long, healthy marriages, who were married before their spouse passed for 50 and more years, And I am certain that I will be able to help you find somebody if you need that support, if I'm not that person for you. And if you're being, oh, an um, extremely important caveat. I can't go through this without saying, in the case of an abuse, you need to leave. You are absolutely permitted to leave every single time until the other spouse is really ready to do the necessary work You do not need to put yourself or your kids in harm's way. I don't care if it's physical, emotional, or psychological. Abuse is abuse, and the other person has not held up the very basics of being in the covenant relationship with you. Absolutely, you need to leave and keep yourself and your kids safe. And if you're being honest with yourself and you find yourself as the actual abuser, knock it off. Get help. There is help for you, too. 
you can change. People can change if you want to change this part of who you are. All right, this section lead us, leads us nicely into the last chunk of verses today. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your words be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Just as with the marriage vows, we need always be honest and committed to our words. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. When we say we're not going to do something, then we don't. These verses are really pointing toward the oaths. My mom and I had a long conversation. I don't know how to say that, if it's oaths or oaths. So I'm going to go with oaths. So, oaths that had become customary in the Israelite community. There are too many Old Testament verses. I will not pull them up to share with you. But Moses taught that the Israelites were to keep their oaths, that they made with one another. Jesus is saying, stop. Stop making oaths with one another. Stop scaling them against God, against Jerusalem, against the earth, and against yourself. Just take up honesty as a rule of life. And if we remember that Old Testament chunk of verses from the Ten Commandments, we heard, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. At the heart of kingdom ethics is honesty. Not only in the courtroom, but in life. You do not have to raise your hand if you don't want to. This is not going to be a confession time. But how many of us have knowingly lied in the last week? Or in the last month? We have all struggled at some point with this. Unless you're a saint. Please tell me if that wasn't you. I would love to hear how you did it. Um, We've all struggled sometimes with the lies, even the little ones. Jesus goes beyond this Old Testament ethic of making and keeping oaths and says stop and gives us a new system which we are all invited to live. You are invited to be invariably honest. And if everybody responded and was invariably honest with us, we will have a kingdom world wherein oaths would not be needed. Disciples, you are invited to be honest with one another. People have asked me why I have been so involved in 12-step programs. Ultimately, it's because I call myself a recovering liar. Um, Sure, I did a few other things that I'm not proud of. Um, However, Ultimately, I lied. I lied to God. I lied to myself on a regular basis. I lied to my spouse, to my kids, to my family. I didn't realize that I was not okay. And I didn't realize that it was okay to not be okay. In a way, for years, I thought it was easier to just be fake with everybody. Spoiler alert, I was wrong. It landed me and my life in a pile of mess, 
And now my honesty sometimes gets me in trouble at times. <laughs> but I can sleep at night in a way that I never could before. And this honesty includes when I'm not doing okay. It includes letting Gary and the kids into my feelings and emotions. It includes what I'm up against when I feel like I'm drowning and when I feel like I'm winning and when I'm doing well and when I'm excited. We all need to be able to cry and to celebrate with one another. We need to share the honesty so that we can connect with one another in real ways. But of course, there's some nuance within truth-telling. Being honest does not mean trauma-dumping on everyone who will listen to you. Being honest does not mean telling perfect strangers exactly everything that they're doing wrong or that they never needed to know. Being honest does not always mean that we tell somebody they look awful even when they do. Being honest does not mean telling other people's stories either. When you're entrusted with somebody else's stuff that they are working through, it is not okay to walk around telling everybody else because you're just being honest. No, no, you keep that stuff to yourself. Bonhoeffer wrote a whole paper on what it means to tell the truth. He talks about this nuance as the living truth and that it requires attentive discernment of the relevant contents because there are times that lying is necessary. Bonhoeffer, if you don't know, is the theologian pastor who went back to Germany during World War II to fight for the Jews and against the Nazis. He fights for the necessary exception to this rule. If you're faced with a decision like that that feels like lying is your only best option in the moment, please take time and pray. See what God would have you say. Give yourself time to respond, space to talk with God about it. You can absolutely ask the person to whom you want to respond to give you some time. It's okay to ask for that. So what do all these verses have to do with one another? What takeaways do I have for you today? Although, of course, I always hope that you have more than what I have for you. So first, be a disciple. No? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't worry. Um, that was just because I promised I wouldn't do that again. So here's the real one. From the end of our verses, and we're going to move backwards. So first, I want to encourage you to embrace honesty as a rule of life. Your yes should be yes. Your no should be no. Try to stick to what we say to each other. Be fully honest with those whom you trust and who know you well first, and then start to try it out at all times, even if it feels scary. We live in a culture that lifts up white lies and deception and manipulation as if it's a game. We're surrounded by media that only tells us one side of the story. I want to encourage you to be different, church. Start being fully and unequivocally honest at all times. Next, when you say you're committed to something, I want to encourage you to be committed. Of course, there's room for grace. There's so much room for loving yourself well to withdraw from unnecessary commitments. And you can do that by being honest with people, by the way. 
But when God is calling you to step into something and you agree, make sure you've prioritized your time well to make it happen. Prioritize your marriage, prioritize your time with God, prioritize your discipleship. If you are curious about what God might be calling you to, let's talk. Oh, this makes me excited just to even open that up. I would love to talk to you if you don't know where God is saying, hey, I want you to do this. Let's have a chat. I really hope somebody takes me up on that one. Lastly, if you're struggling in some way with lust, be it another person in your life, somebody you're looking at on the screens in your life, or some other lust or covet in the world, like money or power, or maybe you're coveting your neighbor's ox and donkey, you can fill in the blanks. I'm sure there's other things that you might be coveting. Let this be an indicator for you an indicator that something is just not sitting right within your life. Let this lust be an indicator of a possible deeper psychological or spiritual issue that you get to work through. Notice I use the, it's an opportunity, guys. Let this lust inform your need to truly be a devoted disciple. Let lust bring you to your knees as you try and figure out what it is that you're actually looking for, what you're really in need of, what it is that you are missing out on in your life right now. Let it be your guide on a journey within yourself in ways that maybe you've never gone before. Let it be the guide to finding out what God really has for you right here, right now. Please join me in prayer. Lord, soften our hearts toward these difficult verses. Help us to be honest with ourselves and others. Help us to be honest with you, God. Help us to long for and go after your heart, Lord, so that we can love ourselves and love others well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.